0: Your head, son, and take a Sean take a Silver here from 98.5 yeah, The Sports Up. Welcome to it. the Knuckle Push-Ups Podcast. Now this is a little thing that we've done before, and by we, I mean me and my friend here, the man formerly known as the Wollaston Beach Bad Boy, Patrick sure. O'Connor.
1: Uh, I've also gone by the NB atheist, but it seems to confuse a lot of people. So we'll just go with Patrick O'Connor.
0: I'm still having a hard time figuring out exactly what that means. I mean, it's, it's high concept stuff. Yeah, Um, definitely. I am definitely not a guy who always grasps high concept stuff, you know, despite my standing in life as a sports radio blowhard and prolific writer of things on the interwebs. I I don't always get it, but we want to get together perhaps on a weekly basis talk about the NBA, and and talk about our favorite team, the Boston Celtics, but not necessarily talking about the two as independent things, talking about how they relate to the other, because after all, the ultimate goal of the Boston Celtics and of being a Boston Celtics fan is to see your team achieve the highest level of success, and that would be an NBA championship. So
1: looking at the
0: C's in the scope of the NBA.
1: That's right. Basketball doesn't happen in a vacuum and there might be some stuff that goes on with the Celtics but it's not only them that we got to worry about you know it's not the it's not the starters versus the bench for the title so got to think about what else is going on out there what type of impact it's going to have on uh, on the green and and there's a, basketball is a wide ocean of takes yes. <laughs> and all kinds of stuff that's for that sure can, it just changes every day man it's the best show it's the best drama on TV there's a reason why it's on TNT you know what that is
0: we know drama. That's right. <laughs> we realize that there's a lot of podcasts out there in the NBA world. We may not be your favorite, but we'd like to earn your time. So hopefully, you know, we're going to talk about some stuff that we find interesting. We hope that you'll want to be a part of the conversation, either with your ears or either hitting us back with comments on the Twitter machine.
1: That's so, right. And actually, Sean, yeah, you bring up an interesting point. There's actually something I'd like to get your gut reaction on.
0: Oh, all right. Right off the bat here. I don't, I, right I'm, like, the I'm like Greg the Hammer Valentine here. I need at least a good 15 minutes to warm up before we get into things.
1: No, man, we're going straight. <laughs> we're going straight. Dropkick off the top, Marty Jannetty. So, Sean, there's something I actually want to get your take on. A little mm-hmm. gut reaction to get started. I just want to like see how you're feeling about this. I'm going to read a statement to you, and I want you to tell me how you feel about it, okay? You got it. Oh, man. I'm just eternally grateful to be here. To be back home in front of you guys. <laughs> On behalf of us all, oh man, sorry, it's just hit me right now. I appreciate you guys. I look forward to you guys supporting us all season. Let's go Nets. Sean, your thoughts?
0: Kyrie Irving is an actor. He has been in the Uncle Drew commercials <laughs> since around 2012, when that was a Pepsi Max ad, I believe. Um, I enjoyed it i found it interesting i I wasn't a big kyrie irving fan um from the jump from his time at duke which was like a minute or when he was in the nba but i was kind of like hey this this guy's got some personality he brought some other nba characters into the uncle drew world well they turned it into a movie kyrie irving has gone i don't know if you'd even say full hollywood because he's not out there but he's gone full fraud he's he is fake plastic nba man and that's not a Stacey Ogman reference he is he is as fake as they come. I hung with the guy I hung with him a long time last year in Boston, and uh you know when it when it turned out that the Celtics didn't get what they wanted and that Kyrie just barfed all over himself uh from a performance standpoint, he had every excuse in the book, and this isn't me being insensitive to you know family issues. This is just a guy who thinks he's a hell of a lot smarter than he actually is who, you know, just thought by virtue of being the sidecar and NBA champion that he could come to Boston and be a leader. And leadership takes a lot more than just being, you know, the nominal high contract guy on the team, scoring a lot of points and or having a role in one successful team, which wasn't actually your team. He failed in all respects here. I tried to stay with him. And uh, now good riddance. He's all yours, Brooklyn. That's how I feel about Kyrie Irving at this point. That was a bad, uh, a bad acting job from a bad actor who has been in exactly one movie.
1: My dude, Mike Gorman voice of the Celtics for 30 years, had some pretty choice. God bless him. Had some pretty choice things to say about Kyrie on a recent episode of, uh, Chris Mannix podcast. Yeah. Uh, Tape line in front of an audience in Boston. And I think Mike was just going off the top where he made the prediction that Kyrie was going to do this a couple more times. Sean, do you think this is uh, the last time we've seen, uh, seen uh, the Kyrie kind of roll out the red carpet for himself in a new city? <laughs>
0: well, the, yeah, the whole thing about going home. I mean, that's just such an easy uh, NBA trope to play for players. I mean, I don't know when exactly it started. I remember the whole Carmelo thing going back to New York. He's like, they used to call me little New York. And it's like, Dude, when you were growing up in New York and they called you Little New York, that, that makes no sense. Like, what, what are you talking about? And then, then he moved to, like, Baltimore, right? I, I, I don't know. I mean, everybody wants to go home in life. If, if Cape Cod, you know, wasn't a horrible place to be in the summer and the winter, you know, just two extremes of hell, I would be living there right now with my wife and child. But it, sure. it's, it's not. Shout out all my
1: people. Hey! Shout out to Cape. making home. Shout out to making home wherever you are. Shots fired at Cape Cod. <laughs> Kick rocks. Sean Silver. <laughs> I
0: don't know because I, I you know, I fancy myself as you know the menace for me is Dennis. This this guy is very proud of of where he's from and his family and his upbringing. And here I am just just crapping all over and, uh,
1: the the place that molded me. But, and you're uh, talking to someone who's referred to himself on more than one occasion in more than one medium as the Wollaston Beach bad boy. So I get naming a place to be like, this is my adopted home. This is where I want to be. Yeah. Uh, I just, I think there's only so many times you can play that card. And this is, uh, I believe this is number four uh, for Kyrie. So yeah, I I don't know, man, I think this is only going to last for as long as his knees hold out
0: yeah he's he's how is he twenty seven now I feel like he's right around there right around there um I don't want a chance you know my computer messing up like it did the other night when we were trying to do a segment <laughs> sure, um, so yeah. i I'm not gonna search for anything on the internet right now, but you know at that age, I mean you know what five more years of this guy's career, you know three or four more at a high level perhaps I mean we have no way to really tell, but I do feel like this guy is the kind of glory hog where he might have a Carmelo like trajectory. Granted, Anthony never won a title and Kyrie has, but this is a guy who's going to keep trying to reinvent himself in different places and try to keep himself relevant to the point where he becomes a punchline, a nuisance and an annoyance. If he hasn't already good, good for you for scoring 50 and a loss. Um, I'm glad you're home. You're actually from New Jersey and then right. Nets moved a bunch of years ago. So, uh, good for you. Right, can you tell there's some salt there for Kyrie? <laughs>
1: Jeez. Uh, yeah, I, I I figured I'd start episode one with a good old jab right in the ribs.
0: It just it just built up with me, you know. I was I was trying so hard, and it's eventually you know I just can't try anymore. It's like a bad relationship. It's like I all right, gonna, I have given up on you.
1: I'm going to call this segment of the podcast ISO, where I just clear out and let Sean vent.
0: All right, pushing away from the table here, Patrick, because I want to flip one back to you, and yeah, and maybe um, you know, maybe we'll take a more positive angle because that's. That's how I was coming into this podcast. And then you throw out, you know, that <laughs> quote for the very first now, thing you say yeah. to me. Jalen Brown, what do you think of the expe- with the uh, of the extension for Jalen Brown that the Celtics gave him?
1: I'm 100% on board. 100%, 100% on board. 100 so, on board.
0: Uh, let's start with the money. Um, was it fair to the team, fair to the player where, where they landed?
1: Uh, 100%. I mean, this is this – is, you can't think – people think about basketball in myopic – Scopes, myopic terms, where this money over this period of time, is this person worth it? Basketball is a living, breathing organism that all of these teams float in. The The, the NBA is a universe. Teams are planets. We all orbit around uh, popularity and just like that social media presence. You and made just, my
0: question seem very myopic, but I like well, the analogy you just
1: made. That's the dichotomy of the knuckle push-ups. <laughs> But like so with Jalen, yeah, 114 million. I think it's 106 base. Yes, with incentives, or
0: 103 maybe. Or, with yeah, incentives. thereabouts. Yeah. Uh,
1: what that does more than get Jalen Brown paid is it sets the tone for the team and for the league going into a fallow period where they don't have any more super high draft picks. They're not necessarily going to be a free agent destination for the guys that are coming up in the next couple of years. Where this resets the narrative that Boston is a team and an organization that takes care of their guys, mm-hmm. something that has been challenged in the last couple of years. So, yeah, by such and, notables yeah. as Anthony Davis's dad. Yeah, and honestly, the rumor was they weren't going to be, they weren't willing to part with Jalen as a package for Kawhi, and that they weren't going to stick by, the, and that everyone they would trade uh, in a package to get uh, to get AD, and. They did Isaiah Thomas dirty, right? Mm. That's the word on the street, and that you, don't, you don't forget that stuff. And that stuff sits for a long time. Boston, I would say, not historically uh, uh, a city known for its tolerance. I think that's, mm. I think uh, that's pretty accurate. I would say, right. uh, took a long time to get a statue of Bill Russell, the greatest winner in the history of sports, a statue here. Um, so that statue though, good statue. Took a little while. I don't think it was the and I don't think it was the the bronzer who was taking too much time. Um, so it's uh, I think it's important that you reset the tone, however often as you can. This is also it clears the way for hopefully a, a good contract for for JT for Jason yeah. Tatum when his time is up next year. So what's the I mean, the last guy the Celtics extended before they had to was who Rondo? Rondo. Yeah, it was
0: 09, I believe. Yeah. Um, feels like it was just yesterday, but then again, it feels like it was just yesterday that we were doing this podcast last and well, it was <laughs> five F and years ago. Right. Um, are you okay with this being the core? If that's the core Kemba Brown Tatum on long-term deals, uh, I was going to say Horford Hayward's here for now. At least he's got a, Al Horford rest years. in peace. Yeah. Uh, we won't even get into that. Or perhaps we will stay tuned to knuckle pushups. Um, you okay with this being the core, or do your spidey senses you know, think that Danny Ainge is going to pull out another trade?
1: I mean, I always think Danny Ainge is going to pull a trade, but I do think this is going to wind up being the core. Because while Danny Ainge will trade any asset, he doesn't just take any asset back. I honestly think Danny Ainge is the only GM in the NBA who's not sweating his job being on the line, regardless of what happens this season. Every single one else, every single other GM, you see crazy contracts people get into – um, the craziest thing about the biggest NBA free agency season ever was the amount of sign and trades. It's just like yeah. if you can't get it done on paper. Like flat out, take you into cap space. Let's figure out some wackadoo um, like trades like to do for for sign and trades. Terry Rozier going to uh, going to Charlotte was a sign and trade for Kemba Walker. I mean, there's just there was just chaos everywhere. And I think that to me shows that there's not instability up at the top, but guys that are like, I'm going to shoot my shot right now and I don't care what happens because if I get fired, whatever, it's not my money. Yeah. And like that's just like baked into the job now. It's just like they want guys with balls out there just like taking swings and stuff. And um, if and maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. It's only going to work out for one team ultimately. Yeah. And you just kind of go for it when you can. So I mean, I think as far as this being the core going forward, I'm fine with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker. I am absolutely, but I'm under no uh, belief that that they're going to see it through the end of their contracts. I hope that they do.
0: Yeah,
1: would love to see another jersey go up in the rafters, but I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about kind of the short term nature of commitments now, and and you know the the pressure to. You know, either win or blow it up in the NBA, and and on the topic of GMs with balls, you know Masai Ujiri with uh, Toronto was a perfect example of that. He made the big deal uh, to get Kawhi Leonard. Uh, they wound up winning a winning a championship due to that, uh, most specifically. So this kind of gets us into our subplots that we want to turn over.
1: Yeah, um, the yeah, idea behind NBA subplots just to kind of break it down a little bit. A uh, so, like the NBA. Is on TV, which means it's a TV show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which means that the interesting thing about the NBA is not what the show is about, like what the tweet length version or description of the show is. What keeps it interesting is what keeps moving and along, and that's the subplots, baby. Like Game <laughs> of Thrones is not about like uh, I don't know. It's not about. Like political, it's not, it's not about who's, it's not about who's going to rule Westeros. It's the right. end. It's a right. little step. It's whose little thing are manipulating. It's like, who's Arya Stark going to go after Who is, you know, who's Jon Snow's parents? Like and that's, that's why, what keeps it interesting.
0: That's why all TV shows, you know, everybody hates the final episode because right. in order to button things up, you have to kind of get away from the, the weekly stuff that kind of keeps you going. and And that's, that's right. the NBA season. I mean, and that right. was me last year, just kind of bottoming out after the Celtics got eliminated by the Bucks, and just kind of hating the NBA because I felt like my team was just done so dirty that I couldn't even enjoy the the final thing that happened. You know, the NBA finals was just insufficient to me because my subplot
1: had ended. And that's the rub because ultimately every TV show, whether it's season 74 of the NBA or season six of the wire or, you know, season nine of lost or whatever you want to bring back. It's, um, the questions that are meant to get answered get answered, and that's not always the ones we want answered, and that's so, why subplots are the reason why you watch TV. And these are just three of the subplots that we're looking at for the for this season of the, of, of hoops, pro so hoops.
0: The first one would be you know the rebooted NBA here, and you know that you know like I wasn't a big Game of Thrones guy, but I I, I feel like there was some incest in there. Is that correct?
1: That's correct, yeah. Okay, so
0: you know when... Just like
1: you're rife with incest.
0: <laughs> you're watching a show, and you're just weirded out. You know, something happens, and it's just like, ugh, you know, like what, ugh, like what were the writers thinking putting this into the show right here? Like, are they trying to make us uncomfortable? Is it unintentionally uncomfortable? You know, like an 80s sitcom that maybe veered into a very special episode that didn't quite hit. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the Raptors ring ceremony to me the other night.
1: Yeah. And
0: this is this is kind of like a part of the reboot to me. That you know, the, the Raptors raised a banner without their principal player, the reason why they won the title last year. And yes, their supporting cast is great. But it made me think I'm I'm saying to to my wife, you know, as we're watching you know NBA opening night, I go, Jess, when like when the heck is the last time that a team raised a banner and had a ring ceremony and the player that was responsible for it was not there.
1: It was in two thousand eight when Scott Pollard got his t- got his championship ring <laughs> with the Celtics, I believe, if memory uh, serves.
0: Uh, well, I I went back through it, right? <laughs> I went back through it. Kobe Lakers. Uh, no, I mean they had some dissension there, but. None of the moves were made, you know, coming off of a title. The Duncan Spurs, no. David Robinson did retire after the 03 season, but he was no longer the principal player there in San Antonio. All these teams, Pistons stayed together for a while after the title. The Celtics and Scott Pollock, God bless you. I had to go all the way back to 1999, the post-lockout Bulls, after Jordan retired, Phil Jackson went off the grid in a yurt somewhere, Pippen was traded, Rodman was traded. Not only that, you had the lockout. The Bulls' ownership chose not to have a ring ceremony because basing the thing around Bill Weddington would have been too embarrassing for them. And that is you know, the, the strange thing that happened to the Bulls and the strange night that the Raptors had where they're puffing out their chests with their rings even though their savior is not there. We're going to see more of that. you got oh, yeah. stars, You got stars now signing two-year contracts. You've got teams that have to blow it up. You know, real quick, if it's not working, we're going to see more of that now where teams win a championship and guys just skate. It's, it's a crazy new world that we're
1: in the NBA. No one wants to age, man. You know, <laughs> like, here, here. No one wants to age. Not and the way to stay young, the way to stay young is to move on to the next thing. And I totally agree where it's like this, everything you see in the NBA, it's both precedented and unprecedented every single night. I saw a great thing um, I saw floating around the internets the other day where a bold prediction was that Blake Griffin should pass the torch to Zion Williamson. Yeah, yeah. The same way Amaris Stoudemire passed it to him. Right. So you never saw an in-game defiant dunk mm-hmm. like you did until Blake Griffin started doing it. Right. Just unbelievable. It was just like the reason why to watch the Clippers back then was because Blake's going to posterize someone. But only we're not talking about posters. Now we're talking about gifts and Zion's going to be doing the same exact thing. So like it's going to redefine it again. So I think that like you're right. We've never seen someone win a chip and then bounce. But that's going to start happening quite a bit. And it's going to be like bands getting together, putting out an album and then forming another band. And it's just going to be about the combinations and the duos you put together. It's just it's what we're seeing in the NBA always is what we're about to see in the NBA for the immediate future.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've gone from the big three era to the the duos era. That's right.
1: Dynamic you know, duo.
0: We've got a, uh, a whole bunch of them out there in the league right now. I went through the exercise of assigning uh, old WWF tag teams.
1: This is why we're doing a podcast, Sean, <laughs> because I was just about to ask you what tag team is what tag team.
0: Should we uh, should we get and argue the merits of these? I had a bunch of ideas. Uh, you are a, a pro wrestling scholar as well. Uh, you you may have watched even more of it than I have over the years. Sure, and there's not too many people you know who don't have a wrestling podcast as well who have watched more wrestling than me. So you're
1: talking to a man who subscribes to New Japan World, okay?
0: <laughs> and very few people uh, outside of your wife actually know. Uh, what that's all about
1: That's right. And she just puts up with it. I wouldn't say she knows anything about it, but God bless.
0: So, since this is an NBA podcast, I get let's start with the uh let's start with I think the most obvious of the duos. And that is the one that I think the the principles of this relationship think that they are the greatest, but they're really just annoying, and that's the LeBron Anthony Davis combo in L.A., and they are the fabulous Rougeau brothers. Ooh, okay. If you remember, the Rougeau brothers were a Canadian tag team. They were good guys, and then they decided that they wanted to move to Memphis and get down with Jimmy Hart, who was the heel manager, and, and start you know started uh, doing rule-breaking ways, but all because they were trying to be accepted by the American fans. That is what's going on on that side of Los Angeles mm-hmm. right now.
1: The all these American two guys boys.
0: just just desperate to gain the acceptance of the public. Uh, Anthony Davis, who he still hasn't shaved his eyebrow, right?
1: No, that's he his still trademark. Thinks,
0: he still thinks that he is just so damn unique and special. And now he gets to preen about next to the ultimate, you know, twenty first century. You know, everybody has said yes to me since I'm fourteen years old, so I'm the greatest of all time, LeBron James.
1: AD, stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs>
0: He's just a regular uh, Gretchen Wieners out there.
1: That's right. Does, does Gretchen that make, Wieners of the NBA.
0: Does that make LeBron Regina George?
1: 100%.
0: Let's uh, let's assign, um, among the other Lakers, let's assign, oh, oh God, the, Amanda Seyfried's character, I forget what that is. Let's assign her, and uh, let's figure out who uh, Katie Heron is in all this. Katie Heron's Rondo, right? Got to be.
1: Yeah, she's pulling all the strings. Uh, Avery Bradley is um, is Janice. <laughs> Janice, okay. Uh, and as far as I think, the only other principal character, let's see, from Mean Girls, I got to go with. Well, the, definitely, um, Jason Kidd is Tim Meadows.
0: <laughs> Who's a pusher there, like uh, Tina Fey's character, who pushes people?
1: Um, well, that's definitely that's that's my main dude, um, Frank Vogel.
0: Frank Vogel.
1: Just trying to keep the train on the tracks, guys. And he's definitely going to look at Rondo at some point during the season and say, I'm really disappointed in you and Raj- in, in Rajan. Um, no, I think as far as tag teams go, like who the tag team is, Sean, you really missed it here. What? AD and LeBron, they're two dudes with attitudes. That's Big Daddy Cool and Shawn Michaels. Oh, wow. Because they're two guys that are obviously better on their own coming together for a cheap heat pop. Out of nowhere, and this whole thing is going to end with one of them turning on the other.
0: <laughs> so, Anthony Davis is the larger of the two. Would he be Diesel so he will jackknife powerbomb LeBron right through center court of the Staples Center?
1: 100%. And then at the NBA Finals, LeBron is going to zip line down, and in the boyhood dream is going to come true one more time. Oh, my
0: good lord. Well, that's if they can get by the Clippers, and I know that you're going to like this comp right here. I see Kawhi and Paul George as the British Bulldogs.
1: Very they right. are yeah.
0: they are just two amazing talents in their own right. Um, g- great could be great singles wrestlers. Great competitors, you know, on their own elsewhere in the NBA. Coming together, forming a great team, and that's kind of why they're in the odds on, odds on favorite for the finals right now.
1: I'm going to go with Davy Boy Smith being Kawhi Leonard. Because Kawhi is, Davy Boy Smith took him a long time to kind of emerge. I think every time you saw him, you immediately were like, why isn't this guy world champion? And you asked yourself that every single time he came out until he kind of emerged and hit the main event scene and was definitely like, okay, yeah, this is the guy we all thought he was. That's just like Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi was pretty much like the best kept secret in the NBA for the first five years of his career playing down in San Antonio. And now he's emerging and there's a chance he is going to do the same thing he did in Toronto. But this time in Southern California, it's going to be the first time in history anyone just leaves a team after winning a championship, being the best player on that championship team. Going to another team and in his first year there, winning a championship, being the best player on that championship team, to now go into L.A. to bring a title to the Clippers for the first time, to also be the best player on another championship team, that's tremendous. And also, Paul George is the Dynamite Kid. Paul George and the way he plays the three is like basically now the blueprint for how you do it. The same way Dynamite Kid was probably the best cruiserweight outside of Japan ever. And uh, the mo- if not ever, the most influential. Influenced everything you see f- and anywhere on TV now for, for wrestling. When you see indie wrestling now, what you're seeing is the dream of the Dynamite Kid coming true.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Is this a wrestling show or is this a basketball podcast? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to throw one more at you And amongst the new uh, duos. Harden and Westbrook, you might come up with a better comp. I call them Rhythm and Blues, the Honky Talk Man and Greg the Hammer Valentine because – Rhythm and Blues was a tag team of two former Intercontinental champions. But at that point in their careers, they were over the hill and they just didn't mix. And I feel like that's what's going to
1: happen in Houston. Uh, I'm sure there's another comp out there, but I'm not going to go anywhere near that one. That was perfect. When I think of the rebooted NBA landscape, uh, I just think of what every time I reboot a computer, the first thing you see is like what OS that your computer is running. Mm -hmm. And I think we just rebooted the NBA big time. But I don't think it's running on the LeBron operating system anymore. Yeah. I think we're moving on to something completely new. The way LeBron plays is still outstanding, but I really think LeBron's moving to a phase in his career where he is a postseason basketball player now. And I don't think he sees the need in turning it on until we're coming down the stretch here. He might have some Tomahawk jams every now and then, right at the beginning to just establish that he's still LeBron, but he's not going to be doing that in February against charlotte on the road like you those turn getting, it up
0: for terry Rozier. i don't think so or pj washington <laughs>
1: well i think because you know just like we were talking about before man father time is undefeated mm-hmm. and it comes for everybody and lebron's plan is to play until Bronny jr gets into the nba and he's not going to do that if he's trying to carry the lakers on his back i think uh he said it in his comments against the loss of the clippers like it's not a rivalry you know where who we are they're who they are it's just one game And I think he could be saying that all the way through until like the final game of the season in April to see if they get into the playoffs. But that is kind of a herald of what I think is going to be coming for a lot of guys in the NBA. And it's actually kind of the part of basketball – maybe it's because I'm going to – maybe because my birthday is this weekend and I'm feeling old already. But like I can see time like not running out but running thin for these guys in the NBA. They got to think too. They're shifting to a different way to play the game. And for LeBron – like turning the jets on at the end uh, and just trying to get through. It's similar to what Dwayne Wade did, just not at that level. And I think you're going to see all those guys. Like LeBron's the only one left from 03, mm. but all those guys who are probably getting close to 30 and thinking like, I want to win a title and I don't want to do it as the last guy on the bench. That's just it's going to be a difference in games. And then you have a new generation powered by Zion coming in, the new OS, the the you know the iPhone 12. It's not even out yet, but people are already talking about it, and it's just uh, – it's, it's where it, the focus is going now. already it's an upgrade. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The bugs are already uh, prevalent.
0: Very apparent.
1: But it's – but that's where the focus uh, on the league is now. Like everyone's got like a new version of a classic model, and yeah. that's just where the, re- the reboot is about the old guys pairing up from trios to duos, but the new wave is coming through. And all the fixes to all the bugs that are already installed.
0: If you look at all these things here, all these different teams, these duos, and and the roster constructions, you know, you could kind of point out a flaw in everything. Whereas, when you had LeBron with the Cavs, and you had you know the Warriors dynasty going on at Golden State, and you thought that those two teams were pretty much destined for the finals every year, it's kind of hard to poke holes or find a, a competitor, even even though there were some teams that gave uh those those different guys runs in the playoffs like Oklahoma City you know really taking it to Golden State that one time etc but yeah, now it's kind of like oh man you know if you can kind of find a flaw in each of these teams because they've invested so heavily in two guys or you know just because you know an injury could really derail somebody it, it kind of makes me think back to the as jim murray would call them the bridgey Celtics When you had Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford, and it was kind of like, these guys don't stand a chance against any of these super teams. Well, the super teams aren't all that super anymore. They're more big-time combinations from which you expect a lot. But you're destined to be let down. Not everybody can be eating cake here come June. So, you know, really it it makes a lot more fan bases – and Stephen A. Smith was going on and on about it last night on the ESPN broadcast before the Celtics. There are eight teams with a legitimate chance of winning the finals. Yeah, it, it it really feels that way, and this is just the new normal here.
1: And that's actually a really good bridge into the second subplot that I see coming for the NBA, for season 74 of the NBA, and that's that the clock is ticking. With uh, With the clock ticking as loud as it is, and so many teams loaded up to kind of maybe poise and make a run and, and go for the title. Like when I say the phrase, like the clock is ticking, what immediately jumps to mind for you?
0: Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's what that's what jumps to mind for me. And it's really impossible. The nature of our fandom these days is to is to speculate because the NBA is so 24-7, 365. We're always wondering about what is going on with the machinations of the players, the GMs, and now that the players have so much power, so much has changed, uh, it, it's kind of like, well, if they're not happy today, where are they thinking about going? And you can't imagine as an NBA fan, or at least we're being told, that a, a player of the caliber of Giannis Antetokounmpo can be happy in a city like Milwaukee with a roster like the Milwaukee Bucks have, even though you know they're probably the favorite to come out of the East here, them or the Sixers. Heading into this matchup and the and the betting favorite, I think, in Vegas to have the most regular season wins among all teams. So you think about Giannis, I I hate it. I you know, I just I want to enjoy greatness wherever it's situated. I think it's great for that fan base, Milwaukee, over the years. They have one title, but they've had a lot of other good teams whether you go to that 2001 team that you know was taken on Iverson's Sixers in the in the uh, Eastern Conference playoffs you go back to those 80s teams that Don Nelson coached that took the Celtics to the brink and even knocked them out one year I think in 83 you go back to the 70s with Abdul Jabbar and Oscar Robertson I mean every generation of Bucks fan has had a great team now this this generation is getting one with that to the Kumpo, and all anybody can say is, "All right, when's he going to leave and shift the, you know, the the settlement of the East once again?"
1: The kid is on fire. I think uh, the whole Giannis argument. I mean, he was he was people were picking at him earlier today, just being like trying to pick apart comments he made to the yeah. Harvard Business Journal.
0: Right. They, about, they went into the depths yeah. of you know some obscure thing that that some obscure interview that he had. I'm, I'm happy no, to our, be
1: in Milwaukee, but if yeah. we're not doing great, I'd have to look around. And he immediately refuting in the comments, but like, that's not at all what I meant by that statement. Yeah,
0: I mean, we got a horde of people covering the league, working hard, and you know, everybody is trying to decipher something. Everybody's trying to gain an edge all the time. We are constantly and extremely online as a society of fans and media members, and this is just what is bound to happen.
1: I remember – like, flashback to ninety six three, The Rose. Yeah, <laughs> cut. the 9 at and 9. Yeah, the 9 at 9. And I can remember, like, that was like, I don't know, early, early 90s, we'll say. Early to mid-90s. And yep. I remember hearing a story about how there were a lot of angry Guns N' Roses fans who were pissed that the band broke up, who were just going to... Grateful Dead shows because that was like another huge tour that was going through, huh. but they brought all that energy, the guns and roses energy to the Grateful Dead. And that's not that scene. Oh. And it happened in a couple cities to the point where the Grateful Dead were like, if this is going to keep happening, we're just not going to play anymore. And we're just not going to do these shows anymore. I could be misremembering. This was quite a this, long time this ago. Isn't
0: anything that I even ever remember hearing about. And I was but, an avid listener to 96, three, the Rose.
1: But what it makes me think of, yeah, it was like some news clip. Who knows? But like oh, sure. Sure. that's my memory, whether it's true memory, or not. Like a steel trap pad. Yeah. It built, it's the perfect example for this. I don't think people in the media are going to be happy with the NBA until it operates exactly like the NFL. Just let basketball be basketball for the oh, love God. of God. Like it's just – it's super-duper frustrating to see because players – Immediately, they're not answering off the top. They're answering in talking points that they get to keep their brand strong. That's not what I want to think about when I think of the NBA. I want my NBA kayfabe strong, (laughs) and I want everyone just to be there to try to win a championship and nothing else. I don't want to think about the business dealings behind every single tweet, every single like, every single everything. The only safe place for comments uh, by NBA players is Instagram, and that's not all that safe. And I just don't want the speculation on where Giannis is going to go uh, a year and a half before it even needs to start.
0: Everybody now is yeah. like everybody Dude. now is just positioning themselves as a brand. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm still,
1: gonna yeah, like, I'm still going to buy your sneakers. whatever You want, I just want to be I just,
0: I just want to be a fan of you and specifically of my team. And, you know, it, what it's turning into is a very homogenized experience where the geography of the league shifts to the major media markets and the coasts. And, you know, you just, I don't know, it, it just makes it less fun. You know, I, I, I like my bubble. Uh, I'm not saying that necessarily the owners, you know, we're not beholden to some billionaire owners of, of teams here, the players you can have the freedom that they want, but there's just so much pressure now to meet certain expectations, and and it, it has such a cold, calculated way that the organic means of being a fan is is just out the window sometimes. And when when the clock ticks, and you feel that pressure, the NBA becomes a little less fun.
1: Well, that's actually what uh, I had something else keyed up, but that's actually what uh, the clock is ticking for me. Yeah. Where so it's just like, how long until the type of fandom that I grew up wanting before it's just completely. That's just a thing of the past. That's classic rock, basically. Yeah. You know? I'm still thinking that like, you know, I'm listening to <laughs> like I don't know. I'm still listening to Pearl Jam as if anyone who's listening to the this podcast has ever heard of that band before. But like, maybe not Pearl Jam. Saves the day for sure though. So well, there we go. I think but the clock is ticking where it's just like the version of basketball that we have is just completely shifting out. I don't think that's gonna exist, or at least the way people experience it. Like you mentioned League Pass, and League Pass is great. I mean, I can't tell you how many games that I just watched through condensed view because it's an easy way. And it's hard because if you watch a Washington Wizards game from start to finish, Mm -hmm. that team looks like animated hot garbage. But if you watch it on condensed view, Ish Smith looks like Rondo 09. (laughs) And it's just – that's the way that like the NBA is built to be consumed through the easiest ways possible and that doesn't leave a lot of room for nuance. It's – and I think that era of – and like – but the reality is players are dealing with what they're dealing with in real time. You know, it's not the condensed view. It's not just the TikTok version. It's not the cleaned up Instagram version of it that you want to present. Yeah. Yeah. It's just consumed in, re- in like the way it's said and if someone misspeaks or whatever, people still clip it through the way they want and push that out there. It's not fair to anyone involved to have a – the person who's writing your narrative should be you and I believe that for any walk of life, especially for athletes – and you need to trust and believe in yourself and bet on yourself that you're going to get the right one out there or that for the narrative you're putting out there, it's going to be adopted and believed by the people who you actually want following you. And that's just not how the NBA works right now because you know these guys are between 18 and 32 years old and someone's just telling them exactly what to say and they're advised to do this, they're advised to do that. It's just the homo- it's just the homogenization of of what we find so appealing about the culture around basketball, yeah. and I'd just like uh I'd like it to just pause and stay the way it is for a minute, but that ain't the way it goes and as a fan, and that's actually like a good bridge into the third piece here, yeah, is that one bad day, the idea of one bad day, who's one bad day away from the whole thing getting pulled out from underneath them? Well, the reason LeBron why I wrote this one down China, he'll have a bad day. <laughs> well the reason why I wrote this down uh not to get too deviated but um the, you may have be familiar with the film Joker yeah so just like uh, well, I don't know when you're listening to this fans but <laughs> Joker just came out it's October 2019 um it's loosely based on the Alan Moore ver- comic book the version of uh, the Joker called the Killing Joke Essentially, the first time the Joker's origin would ever be even broached in comic books And there's this really famous passage at the end of it about the Joker facing down Batman saying we're not so different You and I And essentially the big difference between you and I is one bad day That's how far everyone is everyone in Gotham is away from being just like me one bad day so what makes me think of that for the NBA is how many teams out there are basically living on a razor's edge and they don't even know it yet, where an injury or a trade or a missed comment or just a tiff during a game could take these early season NBA championship dreams and just smash them to bits. So with that description now out there, Sean, who does that make you think of?
0: Well, it definitely makes me think of the Lakers um, because I don't think that I mean last year showed that one bad day for the Lakers meant the Lakers were a non-factor. Now granted they've added Anthony Davis last year but or for this year, excuse me, but you know their roster the kind of supporting cast I I don't think it, it's it's too much like what LeBron's been doing every other stop along the way. I I don't think that any of these guys could be successful without their leader and LeBron's just been a a, a cyborg of a presence for so many years, not getting hurt. Um, when that happens, I think the Lakers are are the one to tumble. I mean, if you compare that with their crosstown, they're not going to define it as rival, but whatever it is, the Clippers, uh, they might be able to withstand losing a player like, uh, you know, a Kawhi or a George because the supporting cast of which a number of them are still there is defensively tough enough. And, you know, it was good enough to get them to the playoffs last year where I think the Clips, you know, on the other hand, from the Lakers, might be able to withstand it. Um, Houston, they'd be fine, right? I mean, James Harden proved that last year. You can have one superstar in Houston; the rest of the system works fine with one guy down there. But there's, there's, uh, there's other teams that maybe aren't so fortunate.
1: My answer is the Houston Rockets.
0: Houston Rockets, well, interesting. So we have a difference of opinion there. I think Houston would be okay if one of those guys was down.
1: Well, I think it depends on how they go down. If the okay. Russ Harden combo explodes, and let's say in February, uh, Harden's like, uh, "Get me out of here! I want to go play in Chicago. I want to go play in Sacramento. Ooh. Get me out, at- Daryl Morey. Get me out of here, or I'm going to go play for the Beijing Blue Wells, Just get me out of here." And um, that team. Uh, I believe so. I think Beijing, maybe the Beijing Ducks. I'm sorry, but <laughs> he's going to the CBA. So, but if Harden just decides, I'm out of here. I don't want to deal with this. Houston running only on Russ power is a fucking ticking time bomb.
0: How is that like, any different from what Harden did last year with that lineup?
1: Harden really carried them through. But well, that's
0: what I, that's what I mean. Harden last year carried them through, and you right. could argue that you know he's a little bit younger. Sure. Um, you know, Russ may have lost a step. Like his, he's not the shooter that Harden is. But sure. you know, what's the difference from one ball ball dominant point guard versus another just taking the reins?
1: Well, I think if Russ, if I think if uh, Harden just takes his ball and goes home, and you're left with living with the embodiment of chaos in Russ Westbrook running yeah. that team, I Love think chaos. it just, I think it's just kind of like uh, I think the Tasmanian Devil will just spin himself into the ground.
0: Well. That's that's fair. I mean, but you got you know an anchor there and a PJ Tucker or an Eric Gordon. You got some guys around there that are great fits to kind of compliment these players, unlike LeBron's supporting cast. though Danny Green made a nice case for himself in game number one as a, a nice complimentary piece in LA. We may have a bit of a difference of opinion on that and how things shake out in the West. As far as the East goes, though, I think based on what I saw from the Sixers in Night number one, their shooting was awful. They are just the land of the Giants, yeah. and they have weird depth going on there. I think that they could actually withstand a bad day. The Philadelphia 76ers probably better than any other team in the East, although the Pacers, you could say, are already having a bad day because Oladipo's out. Can they weather the storm until he gets back? Then they might kind of you know reverse course and actually go from having a bad day to a great day.
1: Well, I think they can uh, because on the East Coast and Eastern Conference basketball, we're used to inclement weather throughout the season. So I do think most Eastern Conference teams will be able to weather a little bit of a bad day. I also think on a team like Philadelphia, you got guys that are hungry and waiting to stand up and go. Like last night wasn't necessarily the best display of that. Um, because they, it was not a great performance by the Sixers, but it was yep. enough to get the job done. Right. I think there's probably a there's. I don't think the the margin of error is a little wider in the East Coast than it is in the West. Sure. Um, so, but a team like I don't think Houston. If if a really bad day happens in Houston, I think they just sink like a stone. Just because the West is that good. Uh, on the East Coast, though, I mean, I think of, I don't know, I mean, one bad day could really kind of. It, it wouldn't make as much of an impact because, I mean, the East is basically a different sport.
0: You know? well, so, yeah, I'm,
1: I'm going to stick with Houston for my answer.
0: Yeah, it would be bad for the Bucks, I think, if Giannis went down. But, you know, losing the MVP, I guess, would be bad for absolutely any team. And I yeah. guess that plays into your answer, James Harden being an MVP caliber player. If he goes down, Houston's screwed.
1: So. And and kind of like to put a fine bullet on this, we've stayed away from it the entire time. My toes are curling. I'm waiting to get into it. Mm. Uh, like my question for you, Sean, as it will be in every single episode of the show that we do, mm. well, what does all this mean for Boston?
0: The Celtics this year are, they're an interesting case study to me. Their reboot is basically a reaction and a very shrewd one by Danny Ainge to the fact that they spent years waiting for a moment that never came. And, you know, that's the experience for a lot of fan bases. They try to build something, it doesn't work, and then they have to go back to the drawing board. But for the Celtics, there was kind of this assumed end post that they never, you know, goal post that they never actually made it to. Um, And it was just deflating because of how it went down. I guess Kyrie Irving was kind of, the guy that they were storing up for all those years with all the goodwill that Isaiah Thomas generated, you get that guy out of town, you bring in the cold corporate killer and Kyrie Irving, and then it doesn't work out. So, but you know, you have two choices in the, in this NBA, you either blow it up and you tank or you hang around and they chose to hang around. Their 2k ranking is undeniably lower than it was last year. And I don't even have the game, but I just, I just assume this and The landscape of the NBA, the way it is with the reboot, with the fact that another team can have a bad day and you can stand to benefit from it, and with the fact that the clock is constantly ticking and other teams may make rash decisions that may or may not make sense, you have a chance to come out of the East with this rebooted Celtics team. So that's what Danny Ainge is banking on. It's just a question of fit and function, as it really is every year.
1: Sure, I agree with everything you said, but my one issue with it that I think it it bears kind of not repeating, but definitely thinking about is that how much of a game plan is waiting for other people to have shitty days?
0: Uh, I know, I know. But what choice did
1: you really have? Because that's the thing—you didn't. I mean, you just got to hope that all these like that two combustible elements eventually explode before they make it to your door. Because for every single, like, combo they're going to go up against, like, Danny Ainge is just going to basically wait to counter punch. I guess. Like, he built a basketball team for sure. But he built a basketball team to play against, to succeed in an NBA from 10 years ago. I think that, like, the youth is really good. I love everyone on the team. But, like, they're going up against guys that have – it's just different combustible elements. I don't know how much time uh, is – that. it's – I don't know if the championship window, even with the new core – If the team is going to be there for the Celtics, the way they're built now, they're not built to win this year, I don't think, unless everything else happens and they just remain standing. I don't know that in a landscape where new duos are constantly forming and like viruses are mutating around them to attack the host... Uh, the host being the NBA, if a team like the Celtics who are built to grow and get better together over the long term are going to be able to weather a mutated strain of the flu every single season, you know, like Tatum and Brown and Kemba and Gordon, they could, next year they could be fucking dynamite. They could yep. be enough to get past Giannis because Chris Middleton is—he's not enough to get past him. They yep. could somehow get around Simmons and Embiid because I don't know how long Embiid's knees are going to hold out, not going, and Al Horford's going to be thirty-six by the time they're—they're they're worried about this. But if those teams break up and Ben Simmons goes to the Clippers. Or just fights his blast his way out of town, and then that now they go back from duos to trios, and now they're waiting in the Western Conference Finals, and the Celtics somehow make it to the ECF, and they make it to the finals as well. Where it's like, how do you beat that? I just don't know if. Uh, so that's what I'm worried about with the Celtics. I'm yeah. looking for them to mutate and grow a little faster.
0: It kind of makes you wonder if going back on what we just talked about for. The good portion of an hour, is this really the new normal in the NBA, or is this just a blip that there'll be a, a correction at some point and we'll go back to, you know, you need to build the super team, you need to have a big three. With the Celtics, obviously there's a lot riding on these young guys panning out, and, you know, it's crazy. Somehow, I don't know how, but I, w- I wound up just getting some Eastern Conference Finals 2018 highlights, injected into my system via YouTube the other day, and I was just like, man, Jason Tatum could take on the world. That's not the guy that we saw against the Sixers on Wednesday night. That's not the guy that we really saw alongside Kyrie last year. You're not going to pronounce any player of his age and pedigree dead in the water, certainly. But the Celtics are banking on, again, yeah, that style of play. It's, it's not You're not building the new Spurs here in Boston and winning a chip you need dominant all-star players to front this effort. And whether it's Brown or it's Tatum, who's your guy, whether you make a big trade to bring bring in one and pair him, um, they need some serious, serious, uh, they, they need to cash in on these guys.
1: I just need the Celtics to get hit with a gamma bomb and everyone turns into the Incredible Hulk for forty yes. minutes three times a week. I'd it's, love to um, see
0: that happen to Ennis Kanter.
1: I, yeah yeah exactly he's the already won a championship belt in wwe I mean, That's right what
0: could he do if he got hit with the gamma bomb
1: i think it's just that the the celtics are the team of the future but i don't know if that the future that they're built for is where the future of the nba is going to mutate it to
0: looking forward to seeing how all this stuff meshes as we get the season underway there's a lot of a lot of fun uh, storylines and subplots with these new teams, and we hope to uncover some of those every week here on the Knuckle Pushups podcast. Jump, 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 jump. Might as well